folks, welcome back to Surprise Mechanics, the only podcast about video games. I'm your co-host, Roman Bittell, and joining me, as always, is Michael Jones. Greetings, gamer, I see you. Greetings, gamer, I see you. Right at the top, Mia culpa. We have to apologize. Sorry we missed last week, everyone. We'll make it up to you, and because um, we're going to do two uh, back-to-back episodes. Mike, I don't know if I told you that yet, <laughs> but we're doing two episodes back-to-back. I guess that's okay. I'm on contract. I'll just... I'll, yep. I'll Read the it. fine print. <laughs> but, but more on that later. So today we're doing just kind of like a post-Star Wars catch-up. We just spent the last month basically uh, doing nothing but consuming and talking about Star Wars. Yeah, it's been a bit of a journey. It has been a journey, and, and one I'm ready to see end. <laughs> <laughs> but before we totally put it in the rear view, I have to ask, have you seen Kenobi? Yeah, I've been watching Kenobi, and initially I was thinking that I would wait for the entire series before I'd start watching it, and then they announced a season two, and also the prequel memes subreddit is just too tempting to not take a look at, so I had to watch it so I didn't spoil it for myself. Yes, they did announce a second season. I did not read too much into it, because I am not usually one to like get all of the, the information about a show or game or thing before it releases. Um, I, I do like that uh, air of mystery. So uh, what I understand with very basic, and I don't even know if it's correct information, but I guess they just couldn't fit the whole dang thing in the six episodes. So they're, uh, they're drawing it out. And um, like, I don't know how to feel about that. I suppose um, there could be some good things to come in season two. It could also just be stretched incredibly thin. We'll have to wait and see. But I am curious to hear your thoughts on the good old Kenobi. Yeah. Well, so I'm looking it up and it looks like season two is not officially confirmed, but it's looking pretty likely. You know, the first episode, I was actually pleasantly surprised how much I liked it. Uh, it was I thought it was pretty good. And I thought Jimmy Smith's is great. And I liked Young yeah. Leia a whole lot. And I thought that was kind of clever. And it's a clever setup because we know at some point before A New Hope, she has to know who Obi-Wan is. Yeah, I um, I, I think that uh, our returning cast is pretty fantastic. Ewan McGregor's back in the, uh, the seat oh, yeah, as Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he's like his um, like. Uh, di- uh, disconnected from the force, depressed, uh, hiding, getting by day by day. Obi Wan Kenobi is pretty great, and then of course Jimmy Smits is great. Uh, his like uh, character relationship with Young Leia is absolutely fantastic. Like mm-hmm. uh, Bail Organa is a fantastic dad, and Hell Young yeah. Leia is a treasure. She really is. She's really charming. Um, I, the, uh, the chase scene through the forest was kind of goofy, but it was you know, very whatever. silly. And like, <laughs> I, I feel like there was plenty of that moment that was like stretched for runtime. Um, but it should have uh, just done the wet out American summer thing where it's just a <laughs> wide shot. And he's just like two feet behind her going, Leia, Leia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also had a moment during that where I was constantly wondering, is that flea? And, uh, <laughs> It was. It absolutely was Flea chasing after young Princess Leia. Broadly speaking, you know, I said I enjoyed the pilot. I have not seen episode four yet, um, but episodes two and three were were basically kind of just what I expected from a Disney Plus uh, Star Wars show. Like, not, you know, didn't outright hate them, but uh, I definitely, I don't know, it's kind of middle of the road for me now. I feel similarly in that 
I, I we've talked before about how like I, I still kind of think it's a little dumb that Darth Vader and Obi-Wan meet again and again. Um and I think that they did it okay. Um the the issue that I had prior was that if Vader meets Obi-Wan, he's going to learn about Luke, right? And I am kind of surprised that all of this is going on and Vader has not once been been like tipped off by Leia at all. And it seems like Vader doesn't even know that Leia is a part of any of this, Um, which is kind of interesting because uh, it seems like Vader is always just out of frame in a sense. Um, Like he is, if he is not in a scene, then he is pulling the strings somewhere else off camera very close by and um it's kind of the way that all of star wars media has stretched the abilities and like the rules and mechanics of the force over the years with each additional um uh installment of this story of movies and everything else to the point where like i don't really get how the force works anymore um and like what was like a, a premonition of sorts like oh hey someone i have a connection with is nearby or you know that, that kind of sensing of a presence um that uh like vader just knowing that leia is luke's sister because i guess the script told him in return of the jedi during their big fight uh but right. that doesn't happen here it's kind of kind of weird to me um I think the actual like way that some of those things played out was like kind of interesting. The uh, the fight that they had showed Obi Wan very clearly struggling, and Darth Vader just toying with him, fighting with one hand, yeah. and uh, being very menacing, like a like a horror movie villain. And that seems to be very in line with how he appeared in Rogue One and what Disney wants to do with the character uh, during that time period along with a lot of other people online have kind of wondered why he just let Obi-Wan go. And, and I guess you could argue yeah. that he wants to savor the hunt and, you know, he's just going to catch him again, so to speak. Uh, but it was kind of a weird moment. There have been a lot of things like that in the series where I'm like, how, wait, how did that work out? Where, like, another one is when Leia is falling from the rooftop in episode two, I think. And they, they've been running across the rooftop being chased by bounty hunters and people shooting at them. Because there's a bounty out for Obi-Wan. Um, and Leia falls off of the roof. And uh, almost exactly like Jedi Fallen Order, uh, Obi-Wan has to save her from dying on the ground on impact and suddenly in that moment the threat of all of those bounty hunters shooting at them is gone like the 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 whole thing focuses on obi-wan and leia and there is no more external threat besides leia falling to her death potentially and then immediately after that is resolved by obi-wan reconnecting to the force and letting her down softly uh, it just cuts to him on the ground. There is no right. re- resolution to the chase scene with the bounty hunters, and it's kind of strange. Um, and that kind of happened in episode three as well with Riva in the tunnel. There's a lot of like, what the f- how did how did Riva get to 
the uh, the spaceport before Leia? Did she take the tunnel? Because like, there's a whole lot that isn't shown. That it, in some cases, I guess if you don't have material for it, you don't really need to show it that much. But it is a little confusing when you think about it and the space that it all inhabits, right? Yeah, in general, I just feel like the show is suffering from a lot of the same pacing issues that every Disney Plus series I've watched so far has suffered from. And that second episode is a great example because it felt like they knew where they wanted point A to be and point B to be, but they did not have the like stuff to fill that time. So it's like, okay, mm-hmm. put a huge chase sequence in, you know, put a, put all this stuff in that it, it, you, you know how it's going to end, you know the outcome. And, and not to say they're every single like, story needs to be filled with twists and turns like it's okay to just like you know enjoy the 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 journey there but the journey was not that compelling it's you know we're watching leia again run just a few feet in front of obi-wan because like the set space is limited uh and and yeah i don't know i just feel like this i can understand the people who are frustrated with the pacing of the show i think like all star wars things people are being real lunatics about it but uh, I've noticed yeah. that even with the Marvel stuff, I don't know if it's a Disney Plus thing where they try to really limit the scope of what's going, like the the, the journey the characters are going to go on. Um, but again, I haven't seen episode four yet. I've heard kind of mixed things, but it seems like, you know, we're over halfway through this thing now. And it'd be one thing if they were saying, OK, we are getting a season two. Don't worry. But of course, that's not how it works. They're going to announce it. I know like Loki is the only Marvel show that's been confirmed to get a season two. Uh, and they announced it. It was like the stinger of the end of the last episode, like season two was coming. So that's probably what they would do with Obi-Wan, I imagine. So I have a feeling that the the, the Disney Plus series, um, I feel like they're under budget or they're, they're low budget. And it's kind of weird to say that considering the cost. Like I think that um, right. I, I just found a random article online or i'm just like did a a random search and um it might be like 25 million per episode or like under 100 million for the entire six episode series but it feels really low budget to me and how that's paced and especially in how it's shot um between uh like some of the sets and then the actual camera work itself. I think my biggest complaint with Kenobi is I hate the cinematography sometimes. Like, let's do a dramatic scene. Okay, let's get the camera up close and make it handheld and, and shaky like it's, you know, a uh, a drama TV show. But, like, it just doesn't feel right in the Star Wars universe to do that. Um, and then there's, like, sometimes there's a lot of weird cuts. I thought that the scene with Vader at the fire watching as obi-wan runs away they cut to like three or four different shots of him very quickly in that moment and i'm like you should have just stayed on one very good shot you didn't need like all these other angles right um so the cinematography really leaves a lot to be desired for me i i think it's not great um and i don't know any other work that the dp has done but um they don't impress me with kenobi unfortunately and 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 that is one of the big things that gives me that low budget feel as well. And uh, it might be high for TV, but it's really low for movies. And 
when you think of Marvel and you think of Star Wars, I, I think that most people imagine movies first. And uh, I, I think it would be reasonable, especially for a company like Disney, like they're they're just insanely wealthy, uh, that they could put that kind of budget into a series like that. I want to know what you think about this. I like Reva, but I wish that we got her backstory already. I want to know her motivations beyond just seeking power. And I feel like the show is leading up to that, but it's just kind of like she's a blank slate villain right now and i feel like that is uh a bad like it's it's really underutilizing her character i feel like because she is like she could be very a very strong character in this series and i like the actress i think she does a fantastic job i just want to know more about reva and they're not giving that to me yeah i have you seen episode four yet i have okay see then because i i heard one of the things I heard, and I don't, this does not uh, influence my opinion of it at all because it was from some lunatic online that some <laughs> people were mad that like episode four, they felt like spent too much time on Reva. Um, and I agree with you. I like Reva. I think she's cool, but she is also very flat. And it's interesting to me that people feel like episode four spent too much time on her and yet it's not even for her origin story because that's just kind of what I assumed it would be. Yeah, it would be a good opportunity to to do that but I, they definitely should have done that already if if this series right. was going to be six episodes and we haven't like gone into the motivations and just the psyche of the primary villain of that series then we're really missing out on a very important piece of the story everybody who's complaining about reva whether they're a dumb shit or not i think it really stems down to that that writing and, and sure. where that piece is placed rather than the actress or her work because, like, the character is fine and the, the, the person portraying them is also fine and they're doing a great job. But, again, it's what they're given. They don't have any say or, like, really any big influence on, like, I want my backstory to be this and I want you to show it in episode one during this time. Like, they, they can't do that. Right. Like, I'm interested how she even knows Darth Vader's Anakin and, like, why she hates Obi-Wan so much. Like, all that kind of stuff. But I'm also – it is it, – it's – this again, I think, ties into the the pacing issue I've noticed with all these Disney Plus shows. At a certain point, you're so curious for answers that uh, it. I feel like it is a skill when a show or a movie like knows when to give you those answers and when to keep stretching things out. And if it's one of those things where we just are going to learn all this stuff in the last episode, like that's just more frustrating of an experience than rewarding. I almost feel like this could have been another movie like Rogue One, you know, but it seems Disney's right. a little, and maybe little, it should have been yeah. a little shy of making um, another Star Wars movie at all. One other thing that I have found interesting, there was a, a post online that I read uh, that made the argument that the Obi-Wan series is essentially copying Jedi Fallen Order's plot note for note. And <laughs> I cannot disagree with that because they, they, they pointed out like one um, Obi-Wan and Cal Kestis reconnect to the force in the prime moment when someone is falling to their death. Um, right. And then they go on a journey and they're trying to save young people from certain doom. And, <laughs> and uh, they end up going to 
the Inquisitor Fortress. That's episode four. They spend the entirety of episode four on Fortress Inquisitorius. So hopefully that's mm. not a, 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 a. I hope you don't. You're not mad at me for telling you that. No, I'm fine. But um, do not care. <laughs> can can you fucking believe it? They did the same thing again. Like just to interject here real quick, and then I'll let you get back to it. But it's interesting you mentioned Fallen Order because the last thing I wanted to say was I think the most valid criticism I've seen for this show that it's hard to argue with is showing like side by side uh, some of the same locations that they go in, namely the Inquisitor Fortress, how, how it looks and is presented in Fallen Order compared to how it looks and is presented in Kenobi and how it is so much more striking and artful in Fallen Order. And yet they can't even come close to mimicking that in their like what is a flagship Star Wars series. I think that that is back to the budget. And that it was yeah. like it's it's cheaper to make it, um, you know, uh, gray, cloudy skies, so you can't see that picturesque vista of the planets, because um, like that that's more artwork, that's more CGI, that's that's just more time and money. It, it is kind of funny because yeah, in, in Fallen Order, it does a lot of the same stuff, but it, it surprisingly does it a little bit better. Um, can you uh, 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 do you mind if I give you a little spoiler and it's not a big one there's no like big no, story thing uh can you believe it they flood fortress inquisitorious again oh my god are you serious <laughs> yep oh wow yeah it is hard to yeah holy moly twice in five years baby didn't see that coming oh my god that's crazy they might no as well way. have just <laughs> they, they really might as well have just like inserted obi-wan there at the exact same moment that Cal Kestis is there. They they copied their homework. They essentially did. Absolutely. Because that, that again, like I said, that the person who <laughs> argued that the Kenobi series is essentially just ripping off Fallen Order, like they're right. They're absolutely right. They're like Right. Unless, it's kind of hard to argue with that. Unless episode five and six go a completely different way. But like you've already got more than half of this series that kind of is you know ripping off this other thing that is also star wars uh very very funny <laughs> you know i very said funny i said in our episode with matt slaniker we talked about fallen order that i thought cal was going to show up in obi-wan maybe it's actually what i should have said was the plot is going to show up in obi-wan <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah it's, it's essentially what has happened um and uh like Honestly, there there are things that they have done with this story that I am surprised about. Like, I did not anticipate young Leia. She is a treasure. Sure. Uh, probably my favorite part of the entire series so far is young Leia. Um, but everything else felt familiar, not in the sense that, oh, yeah, this is Star Wars. But, oh, yeah, I played that game before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm watching a rerun. What? What the hell? <laughs> is this a let's play? Am I just watching yeah. a Disney curated let's play? Is this okay? Okay, I guess. They they modded Cal Kestis out and replaced him with Ewan McGregor. Easy. Yeah, it's just a mod. It's a modded Fallen Order. There we go. Yeah, this is a modded Fallen Order. So with the announcement of a potential season two, I am curious how the pacing will carry through the rest of the like these last two episodes, three for you, um, and then potentially another six next year, two years from now. I don't know when, because um, um, I don't know if there's a whole lot more story to really tell. It's, I mean, it's essentially like even where you're at in the story, it is 
get Leia home and get out of the the radar of the Empire. And I suppose there's a lot of trials and tribulations that you could um, put between point A and B, like you said, you know, enjoy the journey. Um, but I, I wonder how that will all play out, if it will feel satisfying, if it won't feel satisfying. Um, and if they're going to like majorly screw it up in some way. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 at least we uh, probably have a Qui-Gon scene coming up still. I am still anticipating that. Actually, it was I, when I watched the episode four, I completely did not even think about Qui-Gon. And you just reminded me that that is a potential thing that could happen. We That's just, interesting because that that would mean episode four is the first episode where they don't directly mention Qui-Gon then. Because that's the only reason like I'm thinking it's going to happen. It's like you have mentioned Qui-Gon way too many times to not have that pay off. Like, we definitely need to see Liam Neeson. Like it, it is right. a must at this point. Chekhov's gun is there and it has to Chekhov's go off. Liam. And Liam Neeson has to come out of the barrel into that gun. And if he doesn't, right. then I'm going to be like, well, uh, what the heck? It's going to be especially funny, too, because before the show, Liam Neeson was saying in interviews like he would only come back to be Qui-Gon in a movie. And I'm like, yeah, dude was lying. <laughs> like, he literally was like, that's what these like celebrities do when they go on these press tours. The they just lie. And it's very funny. <laughs> Speaking of press tours, there's a video going around of Hayden Christensen um, in an interview. Uh, it's with a child dressed as Darth Vader, which is uh, Hell yeah. re- really, really I thought cool. He was dressing like Darth Vader in the press tour for this. <laughs> but uh, this kid is interviewing him things um, that are very silly because it's just a fun little uh, uh, a piece of marketing and promotion. But the entire time, Hayden Christensen is like ignoring this kid and then just building a Lego X-Wing. <laughs> Amazing. So That's it's so just, good. It's very good. One of the things I'm also kind of curious about with this series is when are we going to get more Hayden Christensen? Because we have like the little PTSD. Uh, yeah, the shot flash of him. In, in, yeah. Uh, in episode two. On that three. Southern California planet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, that was like a cool moment. And then I suppose that Hayden Christensen is in under all that makeup in the Bacta tank and all the, the stuff going on there. And I don't know if he's in the suit or not. It's impossible to tell. Uh, they could easily have had somebody else just do the suit like David Browse in the original trilogy. And it's not Hayden. But I, I do think that for Return of the Sith, Hayden had a Darth Vader suit built for him that he actually war and acted in at the end of the film um so i'm curious if that darth vader is hayden i hope it is i really hope it is as well because it's clearly not his voice james Earl jones sounds good and i don't know if it's the digital de-aging yeah uh or he just sounds good but um the uh the vader that we get i guess is somewhat satisfying like he uh he, he as a character is interesting still somewhat and i'm still kind of like on that thought about uh at what point are we going to be tired of vader cuz we've seen too much and i kind of fear that that's going to be a thing this show might toe the line of or future star wars media might really try to push um cuz they, they 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 go hard on darth vader one thing I think the modern appearances of Vader have done really well is they always make sense. Like the stories have always incorporated him exactly in a way where he should be incorporated. Like 
uh, the, the end of Rogue One is really cool. Him showing up in Fallen Order is pretty neat. And I think a show like this, it makes sense to have a lot of Darth Vader. So I think that is, it's not going to be as tiresome, whereas if like, you know, if Darth Vader shows up a bunch in Ahsoka, we might be like, okay, like how many times did they really run into each other? Whereas, but like this, I think makes a little more sense. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm really just kind of like afraid that they'll, 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 they'll see that people like seeing Darth Vader. They like seeing uh, Mr. Brutality, um, walking down the, the village street and snapping That was pretty necks. brutal though. I was kind of surprised. And, and, you know, they'll say more, more, and Disney will give them more because people are asking for it and then it'll run itself dry. Um, cause essentially what I desire from it is like you, you want to be left wanting more. And sure. if, if it leaves you in a place where it's like, well, it went too far, I went a little too far in too many places, <laughs> then, then you kind of fucked up. And I don't think that it's hit that point yet, but I think Disney is perfectly capable of really like driving it into the dirt and end up beating a dead horse at that point. I guess if it's any comfort, what we're describing right now is not a new phenomenon. You know, Vader was in Rebels a lot, I guess. I, or I don't know about a lot, but I know Raider, Vader had a presence in Rebels. You know, I just rattle off two other things Vader has popped up in in recent memory. Um, but I think your your instinct is a healthy one. Um, I think it's like with any cinematic universe, which Star Wars is now, undoubtedly, it is only a matter of time before some of this stuff starts to wear thin. Um, but I and I do think they're trying to overcompensate with for Vader in this era because these sequels have moved past him pretty clearly, right? Like the, the sequel trilogy is done. There's no way to retcon it to put Vader in. <laughs> so, right. yeah. okay, we're going to flesh out this period where Vader is there present, you know, is alive and is active. And with the sequel trilogy, they really tried to milk like the Darth Vader character. Um, like the through, legacy for sure. Through yeah. Kylo Ren. And it, it, it didn't really work that well. <laughs> um, but yeah, they they have a essentially the the face or I suppose the mask of Star Wars is Darth Vader um, in Disney's eyes. I think we can put a bookmark in this Kenobi chat and maybe we come back to it. You can't the escape over. him. You can't escape him, Obi-Wan. Yep. We, and we can't escape it. Star Wars, that is. <laughs> it follows us in our <laughs> lives. Anyway, um, yeah. what would you like to talk about next, Roman? In between my my Star Wars viewing, I have been playing Evil Dead the game. Oh, heck. And I got to say, this thing's pretty good. So it's developed by Saber. And the, the Saber has developed other stuff, but the one, I think their, their biggest game, at least the one I had heard of, was the World War Z game. And I've not played World War Z, but uh, from what I've heard, it's like surprisingly good. And I think that context is important because I think the Evil Dead the game could have very easily been a, a a drop in the ocean of cheap IP, you know, cash grabs. Um, but one thing I think this game really has going for it, or specifically I should say the Evil Dead license has going for it, is we talked about this a little before we started recording. Uh, Sam Raimi and his brother and Bruce Campbell all still maintain various levels of creative control over the Evil Dead IP, and they will get involved in any project, even like the upcoming Evil Dead Rise, which is not being directed by Raimi. Uh, they are all executive producing it, and they all were involved in the Evil Dead 2013 movie as well. And so, um, like, they had oversight in this game. 
Uh, and Bruce Campbell has been involved in like the sort of marketing rollout for the game. And there's all these interviews you can look up of Bruce Campbell talking about it. Uh, and I think it shows because this game has like a lot of care and attention put into a lot of the tiny details. And it's a total blast. Um, so what is the dang thing? Well, it's an asymmetrical multiplayer action horror game. Uh, so the, sh- the short version, the elevator pitch is Think Dead by Daylight meets Left for Dead. So you are one of four survivors and you are going up against a Kandarian demon that is controlled by a fifth player. And whereas, you know, Dead by Daylight was more about stealth and, and fixing generators, uh, Evil Dead is an action game. You, you fight deadites, you, you have to, you find weapons and guns and, and you have to survive through various event phases. Um, and the beginning of the game, the way the gameplay loop works is there is, if you're playing as one of the four survivors, there's four different classes, and each class has three to four, right now, uh, unique characters that all have their own unique moves. And there are four different Ashes in the game, <laughs> so <laughs> you can be an Ash in each class, which I think is smart, because, you know, Ash is the franchise star of the Evil Dead, so, you know, give people what they want. People want to play as Ash. Um and so there's like a, a huge element of teamwork in this thing because you got to play to your class. And if you're a support class, obviously you got to be with people. Uh, there, there are a certain certain characters that are built a little better for kind of going off and doing your own thing. But in general, you want to stick with your team. You want to communicate either through voice chat or there is like a pinging system. Um, so when you start the game. There are two different maps that are, they're pretty big and there are like the same set locations on each map, but the event locations are kind of procedurally generated and and they'll be in different spots in each game. And when you first start the game, that is really the only time, generally speaking, where uh, the demon doesn't know where you are yet. And so you kind of have, you know, a little bit of time to make some moves and you basically want to, you have to find three pieces of a map which the game tells you where each piece is roughly located. Then you have to get the Kandarian dagger. You got to get the pages of the Necronomicon. Then you got to defeat the dark ones and then defend the Necronomicon while the demon tries to destroy it. And if you do certain things, if you drive a car, which there are cars in this game, if you fire a gun, if you make a loud noise, that's the demon can almost immediately see you then and will come for you. Um, Likewise, there's a fear mechanic where or a terror mechanic, I should say, where uh, as you get attacked by demons, as you uh, stumble into traps laid by the Kandarian demon, that meter rises. And once it gets to a certain threshold, you take more damage. The demon can see where you are anywhere like they on their map. They know exactly where you are and you can get possessed. And then the demon player controls your character and uses your resources. Uh, you know, if you attacks your teammates, if they hit you, which is the only way to free you, you know, it, it damages your health. Uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, and then if you're playing as the demon, you are in a first person point of view. You're in the evil dead camera, like sweeping through the forest and you can lay traps you can summon demons and then you can summon a boss. And there are essentially three different um, uh, Kandarian demons in the game right now. There's Henrietta from, I believe, Evil Dead 2, Elagos from Ash vs. Evil Dead, and Evil Ash from Army of Darkness. And so the boss is one of those three. And then they each have their own different like skill sets and special things they can do that make them all a little different. That's basically the gameplay. You get in gameplay. Each round, I say, takes about a half hour. 
uh, depending on how good your team is. Uh, and, and if the demon is really good and you get picked off and there is a bit of an urgency as well, because at a certain point in the game, a, a storm basically like, you know, battle Royale style starts happening where it pushes you towards the dark ones. That's like near the final phase of the round. Um, but just in general, even in those early, uh, uh, beats, the demon gets stronger as the game goes on. Uh, so you as the player, it's kind of in your best interest to, you know, chop, chop, <laughs> have a sense of urgency and get things done. But you do need to take your time and explore because not only will you find weapons and ammo, you'll also find uh, something called Pink F, which levels up your stats in the round. So so progression in this game works for both the demon and the survivors. There is essentially a meta skill tree for every character that you put points into in between rounds there there's you get you level up just by playing as them but then there's also a spirit points system which is basically blood points and you get those no matter who you play as and you can spend them on anyone but in the game you as a survivor each survivor has different stats in terms of offense and defense and as you find pink f you can put points into those to get stronger during the round and the demon similarly has a similar level up mechanic that can increase their traps, increase the strength of the minions they spawn, etc. And it's good. It's really, really good. It, it, there's like a, a fine polish on all of it. It looks great. It sounds great. It plays great. Um, and really my, my only sours with it are a lot of the stuff you expect with like a new online game. It's a little bit buggy. Uh, they really need to add a jump because there's like a vault mechanic where you can, you know, get over things that are waist high. But there's a lot of just areas where you might get stuck or clipped on the environment. Um, I've literally gotten stuck before where like you just can't move. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's kind of a known bug. And, and same with the Evil Dead vision. You know, you just like in the movies, you'll crash through fences and windows and stuff. But it's not clear what exactly you can go through. And sometimes you'll like hit a thing that you think you will just break right through but then you stop <laughs> and, and so you have to kind of like put yourself in reverse um the, the community is actually right now pretty positive like everyone is I, i've been dipping my toe into the reddit and it's it's not toxic which is nice uh the only thing that is annoying i have had you know of course i've had a couple rounds with some people who i've blocked because i'm not interested in playing with them ever again but those are in the vast minority of my experiences but there was kind of a problem. It's less so now where uh, people would quit the lobby because their their main was taken. And, and first off, that's just a little silly to me because there's like a lot of different characters and they're all fun to play as. So like find a new main, you know, find a couple people you like for that. Um, but when that happens, you all get kicked out of the lobby. So that's also something they could work on. Um, but I'm really, really excited for the future of this thing. Uh Bruce Campbell, <laughs> you know, we were talking about actors like lying in press tours and stuff. Uh, he is so candid. It's like refreshing. Uh, he kind of spilled the beans that uh, Chet, played by Ted Raimi, is coming to the game. Uh, and uh, they are, of course, doing stuff for Evil Dead Rise, which comes out later this year, which is like, you know, that's not surprising, but it's nice to hear. And I would love it if they added something from Evil Dead 2013. Uh, oh, and they're adding a um, Castle Kandar map this summer for free. So that's going to be awesome. Uh, uh, you, you should get this, Mike. I want all of our friends to get it. I think it's pretty fun, and it has cross-play, which is real nice. I knew that you would tell me to get it. 
because you already did tell me to get it before. And I, I yeah, think that it's good. I've, I've seen a little bit of gameplay footage from some streamers playing it, and it looks really interesting. It it definitely feels different from Dead by Daylight, which I think is a huge strength because it probably has some similarities being an asymmetrical multiplayer game in, in the horror genre. Um, but it being like visibly different upon just like glancing at it is a huge strength to me because um, I think there are a fair share of Dead by Daylight clones out there. I've seen one or two before and um, I don't I don't find that interesting. So the fact that they didn't just do that with Evil Dead is great. Um, I, I think I'm I'm waiting to see if there is much longevity in, in the game because that sure. has been kind of a thing that that we have been burned on before with a multiplayer game coming out and you get maybe like a good month or two out of it and then it's just completely dead hello resident evil uh uh oh god what was it called fuck um project oh oh um resistance project resident, re, no I, I, re, resistance yeah resident evil it? resident evil resistance which came with uh resident evil 3 remake and it was like alive yeah. for a month and then immediately died and uh it was uh it was a little bit fun playing with friends but yeah it just it just immediately died because on its own i guess it didn't it didn't really stand too well um so i i'm curious to see how much life this game has in it um and especially being tied to a film franchise like this i i, I sincerely hope that the uh, outcome is not the same or similar to the Friday the 13th game, which I I, I liked quite a bit. I played a few times, um, but yeah, it was pretty uh, fun. that game was mired in all sorts of legal issues at the end of the day, which ended up killing it, unfortunately. Um, so I hope that the same type of falling out does not happen with Evil Dead, because having a solid Evil Dead game rules, and yeah. I will absolutely pick up on it at the right time. Uh, if if it if it survives that i'm hopeful this one's gonna have legs uh, i think it's gonna stick around i'm very happy i took the gamble on it and got it at launch because i went into it knowing this might be a game i play for a month maybe two and then maybe it dies and it is what it is uh and i don't think that's gonna be the case i think it's gonna be around for a while it's it's good and it's it's fun and i think even if you ha- are not a fan of the evil dead it is still a good time. Uh, if you are a fan, there's a lot of really great fan service. They got uh, basically as much of the original cast back as possible. Um, there's a lot of references and lines spoken that sort of are callbacks to the various shows and movies in the franchise. Um, and the, even the locations on the map, it's kind of like a hodgepodge of different locations from different, you know, eras of the evil dead. Um, and, and it's really kind of refreshing how much, of like a team game it is like something like dead by daylight you know it behooves you to be a good teammate but you've played the game mike you know that's not how it always goes <laughs> when, like you you're playing with strangers and and sometimes you kind of have to just go all right every man for themselves like you know good luck uh and in the evil dead you get some people of course who aren't very good at being like on a team but you know you're not gonna last that long like you gotta you gotta help each other you gotta stick together uh, and, and I really like that. I, I've, I've been playing a lot as a support character uh, in general. I find I like that in those team games. Uh, so I'm, I'm always making sure I'm like at someone's hip, uh, to heal or give them items or, or whatever and be healed, you know, cause I don't have as much health. Uh, so it's really, really good. I want more people to get it and I want it to uh, be around for a long time. 
Also, oh, yeah. while we were talking, they officially announced the uh, Last of Us Part One remake. Oh wow! Coming out September second. The game isn't even ten years old. No, and they posted some screenshots, and I got to be honest. I'm sure if I saw these side by side with the PS3, I'd be like, "Wow, that looks better." But this looks the exact same to me. <laughs> like I'm just like, "Yeah, that's <laughs> Last of Us One. It looked good. It looked great on the PlayStation." How many more teraflops <laughs> do we need to run this one? I don't know. Well, um, that's all I had about Evil Dead. What do you got for me? All right, so uh, everybody at home, take a vote. Do you want me to talk about Fallout New Vegas or Our Flag Means Death? All right, go. Eh. Results are in. Uh, it's looking like our flag means death is the winner. Okay. With uh, okay. one vote coming from Dayton, Ohio, looks like. Oh, okay. Well, thank you uh, to our, our it, dedicated yeah, it was viewer. Me. Oh. And you're welcome. <laughs> so, so I watched this recently, and um, uh, our flag means death on HBO Max, and I had a blast. Uh, it is a 10 episode season. Episodes are like a half hour each, so it's it's a pretty easy watch. Um, I tried to pace myself and um, I ended up watching all of it in like two days. Um, so pacing myself did not work, uh, but that's a good thing because it was very enjoyable. Um, it is a show about pirates in like the 1700s during like the the, the golden age of piracy uh, in the Caribbean and all that jazz. And um, it follows the uh, tale of, well, not really even the tale of Steed Bonnet was a real person and a real pirate who uh, abandoned his life of pampered aristocracy uh, and wealth in order to become a pirate on the sea. And... Um, because Steed Bonnet is a, a an aristocrat who's been pampered his whole life, uh, mm-hmm. it's very funny um, watching him just kind of figure out what a pirate's life is because it's something that he clearly has romanticized um, throughout throughout his life and uh, in like playing with his children um, and and just like. His general knowledge of pirates is not very, uh, very (laughs) vast. So he finally gets a boat and goes out to sea. He abandons his wife and his children um, for a a, a dream that he cannot resist any longer. And uh, he hires a crew and pays them a fair salary. (laughs) And uh, he is uh, just kind of learning how to be a pirate on the sea which is a, a fantastic setup for uh, very humorous things to happen. Like the very first episode of the show, uh, it, it begins with his crew trying to figure out uh, how they should kill him because uh, he's clearly <laughs> not cut out for the job. Uh, it's, it's very, very funny. And um, one of the things that oh, I like awesome. about this show is that as bumbling a fool as Steed Bonnet can be, uh, he is quite capable. Uh, he he really comes into his own over the course of this show, and that is a wonderful thing to see. There is some uh, genuinely fantastic character development for just about everybody on the cast so far, um, and uh, I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. The characters, besides Steed Bonnet, are also very fun and very strong, I feel, Um there's a, a colorful cast of uh, pirates who are on his crew, 
and they all end up like essentially kind of forming a, a family together, which is very sweet uh, over the course of this season. And um, as fate would have it, Steed Bonnet eventually meets the legendary Blackbeard, the pirate. Oh, nice. And well, the what what happens after that is really kind of unexpected um because you, you would think a legendary and fearsome pirate like blackbeard would just shrug off or just absolutely vaporize somebody like steed bonnet but that is not the case at all um the two actually become quite close and looking back at like i've, I've read a few wikipedia articles so I am doing air quotes knowledgeable on pirate <laughs> history. Um, both were very real people and Steed Bonnet and Edward Teach uh, Blackbeard actually sailed together for quite a while. And oh, that's great. A lot of historians don't know why. And um, hmm, I wonder <laughs> they're gay. Yeah, I wonder why. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> they are gay, hmm. and you think and, they were? Uh, you think they were fucking? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and and the show definitely goes into that. It is uh, it is more romantic comedy, um, and it's it's one that is like very charming. Um, that I, I really enjoyed uh, these characters, their their growth over the, the, the episodes. And that, that was really the main reason why I, I could not pace myself. I had to to see what happened next because I was so invested in Steed Bonnet and Blackbeard and uh, Lucius and, and all these other characters um, that are on this ship. They all had interesting stories and you can, you can see that those things are, um, probably going to be uh developed even further they've they've uh, been renewed for a second season which i'm very grateful for um yeah that's great but uh, along with that like we, we do generally have a, a ship full of gay pirates and that's fantastic um it's it's solidly good representation like they're not stereotyped or or um it, it feels like a show that <laughs> wasn't made uh to like make anybody the butt of the joke uh, which is the thing I really like. The show is humorous, but not at anybody's expense. Um, it might poke fun at a character here or there, but that character is still like part of that family on the crew, on the ship. Um, and nobody is really like ostracized or um, like made to feel other. Uh and, and that doesn't really even pertain to sexuality or anything. It's just a matter of that the humor does not stem from uh, bringing or putting anybody down, um, which is really good. Like it's it's right. kind of wholesome uh, of a show. Um, I mean, there there is still the piracy and there are people that die and all that stuff. And that's just the reality of what being a pirate during the golden age of pirates was. Um, but the um the humor being kind of wholesome is just a great aspect of the show it it, it is so lighthearted that it's very easy to watch and enjoy and along with that uh the, the cast is fantastic reese darby uh portrays steed bonnet and he is just like the perfect bumbling pampered aristocrat he does a fantastic job i believe reese darby was also in like flight of the concords yes um, he's yeah he's, he does a great job in this uh just fantastic yeah because that's very like the way you're describing this it's like 
the same that that flight of the concords like even the what we do in the shadows like that same sort of style of comedy which i think comes down to like that specific group of people yeah and uh and and taiko Waititi plays um uh blackbeard the pirate and he does a fantastic job uh with that role as well he's a very eccentric and uh his his character is interesting and has a bit of uh, mystery to him but uh over the course of this season like you you really do see that character open up to to steed and uh it it is uh it is fascinating to to learn more about uh, Blackbeard. Other characters are interesting too. There's um, there's a character named Jim who has like uh, at the beginning of the story no voice and and like the, another member of the crew who got them the job in the first place speaks for them. But you later find out that uh, that <laughs> Jim is really in disguise and on the run from something, which uh, is is an interesting arc that unfolds throughout uh the the that season so the, the the show doesn't primarily focus on just steed bonnet and and edward teach um that crew also gets some really good uh spotlight time and i'm hoping to see even more of that in season two because i found myself um just like kind of i, I guess appreciating and enjoying the presence of everybody on the revenge that's the name of uh steed's ship uh, they, they were all kind of delightful at the end of the day. Um, one bit that I would love to share with you, if you don't mind the spoiler, this happens like in episode sure. five, um, is that uh, there's a moment where there's an episode where uh, Blackbeard is um, interested in going to this fancy aristocrat party and Steed is trying to talk him down because like you don't want to go they're all hooty tooty and you know it, it's just not fun everybody's passive aggressive and all that and Steed is teaching Blackbeard the uh the nuances of being an aristocrat and and how like those types of people don't necessarily uh sling insults at you but they are very passive aggressive and that also hurts just as much or even worse than um, a, a, a bare insult. And um, eventually Blackbeard decides he's going to the party along with the rest of the crew. <laughs> and um, there is uh, th there, there is a, um, a character named Aluanda and Frenchie and they are both uh, black they go with them to this party and they are essentially the beginning of the Nigerian prince scam. And <laughs> they end up conning every single aristocrat at the party out of everything that they have on them at that time, which is that's awesome. Fantastic. It was, it was like one of the bits where I had to like when it was unfolding before that's my so very good. eyes, I had to rewind it and watch it again. Uh, cause it was so good. It was incredibly yeah. funny. Um, it was, it was such a great setup for that. Cinematography is very good in this show. There is, um, one of the things I like about it, there is a title card that is unique for each episode. Um, it, it still says our flag means death, but it's built out of, uh, things in the scenery. So like it might be written in the sand on the beach, um, for an episode or built out of, uh, planks of wood or something. So different props and things are arranged to make the title and it looks just, it really looks like they just set it up on, uh, and, and filmed it with a camera rather than it's you know computer generated but if it was computer generated then 
uh, they did a fantastic job making it look real. Whoever is uh, directing the photography is just knocking it out of the park. Beautiful shots all the way around. Um, set design is fantastic. Costumes and everything look really great. It, it, it's so easy to get lost in the 1700s and the world of piracy through this show um, with uh, the, the, the way that it was filmed. So not only like, the characters are great, but everything else that makes the setting is also really fun and enjoyable. Um, and then the music too, they have some like fantastic uh, pieces to score the show, but then they also have a really strong selection of licensed music that has like caught me off guard a few times. Um, so it, it, it very immediately became one of my favorite TV shows and I'm so excited that they're making a second season and it carries on. And I, I really want to see how that season unfolds, how these characters continue their story and, uh, where the story goes. And, um, I, I recommend Our Flag Means Death to anybody that I can. Yeah, I just added it to my list while you were talking about it because I forgot I hadn't done that yet. I've been wanting to watch it for a long time, but that's probably why I keep sleeping my mind because it wasn't looking at me every time I opened the app. You should definitely, definitely watch it. It is yeah. really fun. I think you'll find it very humorous. Yeah, oh, for sure. I think I'm, I, I, it's one of those where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to really love this. Uh, like I told you, I'm watching Detroiters right now. And so as soon as I finish Detroiters, I'm going to, I'll jump into that one. All right. I've been playing uh, Pokemon Legends Arc Arceus, I think is how you pronounce it. Are you, have you heard of that? Wait, can you repeat that? Pokemon Legends Arceus? Yes. Arceus? I've, I've, I've heard of, I have heard of that game. Yes. That's the open world Pokemons. Yes. It's, it's Pokemon Breath of the Wild, which uh, at first I thought might be kind of reductive, but now that I'm playing it, that's like a pretty fair way uh, to describe it. Um, so... I don't feel like doing a whole story recap for reasons I'll talk about, but essentially the gist of this game is it is set in like in the far past and the distant past. And you are one of the first like Pokemon trainers working to complete the first Pokédex in this region of, of, uh, I don't know if it's technically feudal Japan or not, but like, you know, old Japan. Um, and this game is not perfect by any means. It's pretty flawed. But just from the jump, I will say this is like what they should be doing with Pokemon. Like this game changes some things up. It takes some risk and it is like a lot more of a rewarding experience than I've had in a long time playing Pokemon outside of like some of these spinoffs like Pokken Tournament and new Pokemon Snap. Um, catching Pokemon is actually hard again. So in this game, you the Pokemon just are in the open world, so you have to sneak up on them and throw Pokeballs at them. Um, most battles are optional, uh, and when you are battling, you kind of can, like, run around in, like, a circle around where the fight is happening. <laughs> so, like, it's still turn-based, you're still locked into there, but it's just you still have control of the trainer. Um, and you can, like, change your Pokemon's moveset on the fly, you just do it from the pause menu, which is nice. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff that is, is, is cool. It's, it's fun. It's hard. Uh, and I'm enjoying it where it kind of falls apart is like, it felt like, like the game freak office was them figuring out like the design of this game and like making the game work and it going really smoothly. And then as soon as they went down the hallway where the story happens, they just kept stepping on a bunch of rakes. 
because <laughs> <laughs> it's like it, it works so well, but it's so bizarre because like the story is bad. Like, I'll just say it. And you might be going like, why do you play Pokemon for the story? And that's fair. But this game kind of shoves the story down your throat a lot to the point where if I'm being honest, it's like repelling me a little bit. Like more than once I've thought like I might be done playing this game just because I do not care about the story. Uh, so the setup is you fall through a sp- you are like a kid from the present who falls through a portal in space time and lands in this in the past and you have like a smartphone because but it's transformed because they wanted you they really felt like they needed to write an excuse for why you have a map instead of just letting you have a paper map um and it being a video game and there are all these like space-time portals that keep appearing and you get recruited by i think it's galaxy team which is like sort of I think supposed to be like a feudal lord, but instead of being like a, a one person, it's a team of people who you help these wardens in these areas calm the, the Pokemon they oversee because the Pokemon are getting like corrupted by the space time energy. And so the wardens are basically gym leaders. Um, it's like nuts. And then you meet a like a trio of sisters who is essentially your team rocket type and there's there's still not voice acting, which is ordinarily fine, but there are like a lot of scenes of people talking and it's like this kind of stuff, which like I'm hearing myself describing this to you and I'm going, this sucks. So imagine playing <laughs> the game, right? <laughs> and and it's like this game could have really easily just been you are a young person in the past who has an affinity for like taming Pokemon. Because one thing they kind of tease in this game, but they never go all the way with it, is that some people still find Pokemon scary. Most people find Pokemon scary in this world. And I think that's interesting because like Pokemon and humans aren't quite living side by side yet. So like you could just be a kid who has a knack. You're, you're good with Pokemon and you meet the first professor. Maybe he's also from your town who he's developed this Pokeball technology. And you are the first person just going out into the world And there's, you know, there's obviously no mass communication. There's no like, you know, maybe there's roads and stuff, but it's, you know, the relative early days of humanity. So you're meeting all these different tribes who have different ways of handling Pokemon. And they think you're like a freak and like maybe a wizard or something because you have these Pokeballs and they don't trust you at first. And then you earn their trust because you show them, no, I'm good with Pokemon. And this is stuff the game kind of does, but it's layered with all these like elements of like, well, there's time travel and and there's like these you work for the galaxy team, which is different than the Pearl Clan. And it's like, no, you don't need any of that. You don't need that. You just need you're a kid in the past. You're working with a professor to do the first Pokedex. You're the legend of you is growing as the game like goes because you're having an influence over the people in this world. You are helping them with their Pokemon related problems. There's a team rocket type entity that is trying to be bad. That's it. It's so simple, but they felt the need to like layer upon layer overly complicate this thing. And it's really bizarre. I think it's interesting that um, you're building a Pokedex database in the past and eons go by and Pokemon professors are still asking you to build a <laughs> right <laughs> a, a Pokedex database. Yeah, that's true. You know, thousands of years in the future. I don't know how long it is, but just exaggerating. Um it's kind of silly, but everything else is like it sounds really cool. And it reminds me of how like 20 years ago as a kid, I uh really thought about 
Pokemon while playing on the Game Boy about uh, how cool it would be if it was a game on a console and it was like open world and you could move about freely. And when you see Pokemon in the wild like that, you can approach them and fight them or just run past them. No turn-based stuff. It would like switch to your Pokemon and become like an action game. And then when you're done fighting, it would switch back to the trainer and you'd essentially play like a, a a exploration adventure game. Um, And that kind of hits the the thought that I had, and I'm sure so many other kids had uh, while playing those old school Game Boy games. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, And it seems like they've, they're they're, they're getting close to that vision that I had. Um, There's just a few, I guess, little things along the way that they haven't quite worked out yet. Um, And I suppose that this isn't too far off from, was it sword and shield that was also on the switch? Yes. Kind of similar in style with open world and, and, and fully 3d. Um, uh, Hopefully it seems that game freak is getting closer to, to that uh, like perfected, uh, vision of Pokemon in that format and with it hopefully we'll also find a story that is really compelling with characters that are very strong uh, yeah I don't know if you haven't seen the trailer for the new the upcoming um, Scarlet and Violet yet it looks like that that's kind of what we all have wanted Sword and Shield and Arceus to be <laughs> so I think you're right I think they are figuring it out um, it is just it's weird to me because this this one Arceus, it was so close to like a home run. Like the setup is really good. Um, I will say, graphically it leaves much to be desired, but it's it's fun. Uh, and but then they just the, I don't know why they felt the need to make it just bizarre when it comes to storytelling <laughs> game freak and Nintendo really are using y'all as guinea pigs to perfect their Pokemon formula. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's, that's where I'm at with that right now. I'm, I'm about, I think 12 hours into it. Um, I think I'm just going to beeline the narrative. There are like side quests, um, that are like, some of them are worth doing. Cause there's like a material gain, you know, items in the shop, you increase your farmland, that kind of thing. Um, but a lot of them are just like, you know, it's a fetch quest. It's Bethesda style. Like, here you go. Check it off the list. If you want hundred percent this thing. I, I, I'm not going to talk about it too much in depth, but there is one thing that made me think of that I can make a point of real quick. And that's, I'm playing Fallout New Vegas with mods for the first time. And one of those adds a whole lot of tweaks to uh, the gameplay. One of those tweaks is that you can turn off uh, the undiscovered location markers on your compass. And I did that because whenever I played Skyrim or Fallout, I would always find myself oh, yeah. you mentioned this. <laughs> running like off the beaten path to like, oh, hey, there's a location over there that I haven't discovered. I better go over there, check it out. And it's a cave. I better go finish the cave because I, I won't come back to it and then carry on with my quest. So I will start a quest where I must cross the land and I won't finish it until a month later because along the way I have fully discovered the entire undiscovered uncharted world around me uh so this time through with new vegas i turned that off so that really the only thing that was like dragging me forward or pulling me forward was the the quest that i was already committed to doing it's been a thing with open world games where 
I, I, I really want that fresh exploration to happen. And I hate it now when we get that and it's like, here's a checklist of things and right. It kind of one, it kind of spoils what you might find um, and what you could stumble upon that makes those discoveries really fresh and fun and unique. Um, but uh, it also turns the game a bit into a chore. And my mind is one where I will see that checklist and I will check off everything on the list because I have to. Um, it, it's just, just the way my brain works. And to not have that is so freeing. Um, I have enjoyed New Vegas more than I ever had before because I'm not bogged down by uh, trying to clear the map. I'm trying to legitimately role play. And sure. um, I think that's, yeah, that's the cool. thing that all open world games should strive for is how can we reduce the things that pull you towards um, objectives or just like very plainly point out where to go and what to do and instead find natural organic ways to do that. And I think new Vegas does that very well in its quest design where they've built a lot of very interesting locations that you want to explore and discover. Um, and just like in Pokemon, I'm sure they have that too, but they probably have like something that tells you to go here and go do this. And I don't know if it's a checklist or not, but in new Vegas, a character will tell you about a place and the thing going on in that place. And then it gives you the, the marker on the map and a very good reason to go check it out. There are so many quests tied to locations, whereas other Bethesda games, they're, necessarily aren't quests tied to locations locations and quests can kind of be separated a little bit um and you'll find plenty of locations that have no bearing on any quest at all but are uh very much given lots of attention to detail and a lot of work on but very missable unless you just try to scour every corner of the world of the game and I feel like that is the wrong approach. It, it's a little messy to try to like find everything in the game that is worth exploring. And the way New Vegas directs your attention to different places is really fascinating. There's a vault in which uh, a, a, a plant experiment has gone very wrong and the place is overgrown with lush uh, foliage and fauna. And um, it's kind of a mystery because you're in the middle of the Mojave wasteland. Nothing grows. And in this place, something against all odds has not just grown, but thrived. So there have been multiple people who have directed me to this vault for different reasons each one person wants to find the scientific data of why these plants are growing one person wants to find some uh mantis eggs for their gladiator arena and i haven't found the other people who send me to this vault yet but apparently there are more i watched a video on some of the the design and um uh quests of new vegas and apparently there are even more characters who have something of interest with this vault um and it's cool to see how a location serves multi like several different purposes 
and how the game is actively uh, drawing my attention to points of interest that have highly rewarding uh, exploration and and role play uh, outcomes. And um, it's all it all feels very organic, especially when I start turning off those pieces of the UI that are just distracting me from that. You know, it's interesting because like, I think Breath of the Wild being such a mainstream success has gotten people, you know, people being video game developers, like thinking about that more and thinking about how you can design your game to uh, show instead of tell. But it's not like Breath of the Wild was the first game to do that, right? You know, uh, uh, you know, I mean, obviously you're talking about with mods, but like, you know, I played New Vegas for the first time just two years ago, totally vanilla with no mods. And I was really impressed with it. Like, that's a great game. And it feels ahead of its time in a lot of ways, especially contrasted with the other games in the Fallout series. Yeah, I definitely think a big factor of that is the de- development team consisted of some members of the original Fallout development team. Because um, having played Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 next to New Vegas, there is a definite difference in quality with the RPG elements of the game and uh, how they relate to everything that you do um one of the big things in comparison is in fallout 3 the speech skill is the only skill that you use in dialogue and it has a percentage chance to pass or fail regardless of what your skill level is so if you meet the skill requirements then there's still a chance that you can fail a skill check there which is kind of silly right um but in fallout new vegas Every skill has implications for dialogue. If you're an expert in medicine, then there's a whole lot of uh, opportunities to use that in dialogue with other characters to convince them or to inform them of things that they wouldn't know otherwise. Or uh, they they need some reason to uh, be assured that you really know what the heck you're talking about. And that applies to everything else like barter and guns and explosives and energy weapons. Um, Everything has an impact on your dialogue options, which is incredibly cool. The Bethesda open world isn't one that I'd really model off of, but the way that Obsidian designed quests to really drive you to locations um, in fun and interesting ways is was the right call and the right way to do it. And Uh, Games like Breath of the Wild are really cool because they let you explore freely and they don't necessarily force you into a path. And it really drives home that exploration is key and it makes exploration fun. And with that thought, I'm kind of looking forward to Sonic Frontiers. What about you? Oh, I'm pretty looking forward to Sonic Frontiers. I will say, so I watched the uh, Sonic Central thing the other day just because I was I was bedridden. I was like, yeah, I might as well. And it was it it was laughable how more than once they were like, and here's a sneak peek of a new thing you want to see. And it's like a slow digital push in of a still frame from a new cartoon for about a second and a half. Um, and so all month long, they've been doing like a drip feed of stuff at IGN for Sonic Frontiers. And I have already tuned it out because I thought the first gameplay reveal was pretty cool. I'm still very much on board with it, but every, you know, every day they show a new, like three second thing. And I'm like, okay, just like, I, I want the game. 
Um, they have not shown anything particularly exciting in those. Um, and I guess they confirmed they're running an early build. So like that explains why it's like I'm not super up to snuff. Um, but yes, broadly speaking, I am looking forward to Sonic Frontiers. I'm still super on board with the the concept. Uh, I just want an actual like an actual trailer that tells me a little bit about what's going on or just like drop the game and I'll play it. Yeah, it is um, definitely definitely a marketing blitz, and I um, I hope it doesn't create too much hype because like any game that's hyped too much is always kind of a letdown. Um, uh, like you said, the the premise, the concept of this, I I'm all in for. Open world Sonic seems like a, a, it would be a joy because he's fast and you can just traverse the landscape really fast and build a whole lot of like fun platforming challenges into that. Um, so the potential is there for a really solid experience. And I hope that that is what, uh, comes out at the end is a really solid experience. I think we can kind of call it there, but as promised, we're going to be back next week with Mike's birthday spectacular. Wow. What the heck even? Wow. Oh boy. I just hear air horns. I just hear air horns in the background. Well, we are going on a bizarre adventure. That's right. We're talking about JoJo's bizarre adventure. And it's going to be a blast. Can't wait to see you there. So we'll see everyone next week when we celebrate Mike's birthday. Have fun. Bye.